river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through. Welcome back to the Track Quest podcast. What's going on, Bob? Oh, not much, buddy. We finally uh, got together to do this intro. We've been busy the last week. Yeah, man. Winter is, uh, they say it's officially over. I'm not feeling that yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, sunnier days. Yeah, definitely. Last couple of days, it felt like spring around here. It's warming up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, about time to start poking around in the woods again. Yeah, there's uh, scouting is definitely on the mind and trying to come up with, you know, changing our minds daily on what we're going to do with our uh, allotted uh, time off for hunting seasons and bow shoots and all these great uh, things that are happening this year. Yeah, it's always a juggling act for sure, so it's hard to decide. Well, uh, we've got uh, one of our friends on the podcast today. Yep. Mr. DJ Zor from uh, Arizona. We uh, we met DJ at Compton last year. He was out there and just immediately hit it off. He's such a great guy and a blast to hang out with. And and uh, we had him on a while ago um, with one of our Making Bow Hunting Better episodes. We talked about the North American conservation model, and he did a great job with that. So uh, we had him back on. He, he had a coos deer tag and a javelina tag down in arizona and they went on a little over-the-counter adventure him and his buddy and we we talked about that and sounded like a blast sure did yeah man i mean it's hard not to appreciate a guy that uh loves a good toyota land cruiser and elk taco (laughs) and a longbow and some wood arrows i mean what a great guy yeah for sure and i think he's like the arizona rep for the backcountry hunters and anglers um, so we kind of brushed on a little bit at the end, but we got to get them back on a little more frequently to talk about the, the stuff that they're, they're going through and, and, uh, how to get involved there. Cause he's super involved in that. And we just ran out of time talking about hunting and stuff. So yeah, Jay's a great storyteller. He's a long storyteller. <laughs> so, uh, but he did a great job keeping him short. We still haven't heard his the rest of his elk story from a couple of years ago, he started telling to us at Compton Yeah, and we got so busy. We'd, we'd be like, okay, we'll get to get to the rest later. I think we got about halfway through. Yeah. I think we heard part of it Friday. Yeah. We kept hearing <laughs> sections of the story. And I think that next time we get together with them, we'll, we'll get through it. And hopefully he kills a couple more elk before we hear the end of that story. Oh, he's such a funny guy. Yeah. I've been uh, really enjoying uh, getting to know him. He's uh, definitely a great guy, and uh, he lives in uh, a place that has some great uh, opportunity in the months of December and January when there's not a lot of opportunity elsewhere. So I think uh, guys uh, are going to enjoy this. Yeah, and it sounds like those javelina are, are a gift to bow hunters. Sounds like they're a blast to hunt, over-the-counter tags, and I spent some time down in Arizona elk hunting this year and if you haven't been down there just to check out that desert country is 
is an experience. It's worth the trip just for that. It's just, just a neat place. We have a lot of cool places in this country and, and that's one of them definitely to check off your list. And it sounds like that Havelina hunt's a great way to get started. Sounds like the coos deer are pretty tough. So the Havelina sounds like fun. Yeah. And we'd also like to just thank the listeners, uh, for, you know, promoting the podcast and telling your friends about it. Um, the growth has been great. Um, we'd also like to send out an extra great big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we really appreciate the support that we've been getting from you guys. It's helping keep us on the air. And, um, as we've promised, more giveaways coming. So we're going to, we're going to have a great giveaway today. Uh, what do we got today to give away to our, our Patreon folks? Well, if you guys are on Instagram, I know a lot of you probably aren't, but if you are, we posted a bunch of pictures of uh, this knife. It is just awesome. Custom knife, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, I'm sure, but a uh, guy from Hawaii, and the knife company is called uh, Hiko Ito Custom Knives. And like I said, I'm sure I butchered that, but this knife is incredible. It is incredible. Spell, spell it, Bob. H-I-K-O underscore I-T-O underscore custom knives. Boom. That's where you'll find them on Instagram. And you can and, look, and you can look on our Instagram and, and, uh, we've, we've put a couple posts up about it. So you can get a hold of him, DM him, direct message him and get a knife going because they are incredible for sure. I do not want to give this away. And if, <laughs> I'm just saying. And if you, if you guys aren't on Instagram, you guys should get on there um, and follow the podcast because we, we put a lot of uh, stuff up weekly that uh, has uh, to do with each episode, and uh, it makes it kind of fun following along. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we're going to draw a name from our uh, Patreon supporters for this knife right now. I got everybody's name in a hat. Someday I'll do a computer program, but the name in the hat thing's kind of working. Because when new people sign up, I just throw another name in the hat. So I will draw it right now. Drum roll. Drum keep, roll. Keep keep it at traditional. <laughs> Sounds like a rattlesnake. I was kind of scared there. <laughs> All right. I got Tim Johnson. Tim Johnson. Congratulations. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll shoot you an email and get this knife out to you. And if you guys aren't supporting uh, Patreon... Uh, you guys need to. We've got some really good giveaways coming up. We're going to be giving away a Bear 59er recurve bow here in the next couple weeks. Uh, you'll see information on that on the Instagram page this week. Uh, we've got some great stuff, uh, some more stuff coming from Hawaii, from uh, Island Spice of Hawaii. Spice sent us some, uh, some kind of concoction he's worked up uh, to, to cover scent. Um, we've got some t-shirts, hats, quivers, arrows, uh, a lot of great stuff to be given away, some bows. Got so gift please. cards from, uh, it, just great. We've had a lot of great support from the companies out there. So yeah, we the do footage appreciate app. that. Yep. We do appreciate that you guys. So get on there and sign up. You're helping us out and, uh, you win some good stuff. Yeah. Give up, uh, you know, maybe one coffee a month and, and support the podcast. And, um, we do appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Enjoy. So, uh, we had a plan, but we, 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 we lost it. 
I don't know what our plan is. We had a plan like a month ago. We were going to talk pigs. We we're going to talk. What were we going to talk? They're not. TJ? They're not pigs. Oh, they're not pigs. Avelina, they're a pig, right? Oh no. Yeah, they're a pig. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a new world pig. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they weren't even in the pig family. I thought they're like. <laughs> I think they're no, closer. They're, so they're not an old world pig, but they are a new world pig. So they're they're a North American version of a pig, um, which is it's kind of so if you go back in, uh, man, I'm not a what do they call them peccary, peccary, yeah. So if you go back in in the taxonomy of the javelina, um, so they are in the family Tyasuidae which is where, like, Sue Scrafa, which is Old World Pig, is also. Okay. Um, so when you say so they New are, World, Old World, these pigs um, were here? So I'm talking Euro- European versus the yeah. Americas. Yeah, okay. These so are they're, America pigs, not European pigs that got brought over. Correct, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they America. they have been slowly migrating their way up. They're like a tropical or subtropical species. And there's a handful of more peccaries down in Central and South America. Yeah. Uh, but with the way things are going with uh, with the climate and changes in habitat, uh, they're finding their way kind of on their own uh, further and further north. Interesting. Very interesting. We don't have any peccaries up here. No peccaries. No, not yet. Maybe <laughs> one day. If they keep on, I mean, if we, if our other species, if we lose out on them, man, they might, they might be all over the place. I've seen them in August as high as like seven or 8,000 feet while looking for mule deer and scouting for elk. Well, they're all the way up um, in the north end of, of Unit 9 and stuff. So the south rim of the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, yep. eight, nine, yep. those units have some, not a lot, I don't think, but I think there's some up there. And, uh, yeah, not, not a bunch in there. I don't, I don't know how well they winter over and how many of those move up into that territory and then move to lower elevations when it gets cold. I don't know much about their, their, they're not super migratory, like as, as an animal, but they are, they they do kind of move, um, obviously, right? If they're coming up from South and Central America, they are they are poking their way further and further north. Um, but I don't know if those are pigs that just kind of like end up there in the warmer months and then just flat out don't make it, or if they're actually moving up there in the in the summer months and then migrating back in the winter months. Interesting. Uh, yeah, well. but they're. They're cool critters. You want to you want to just start talking about them? Yeah, we're yeah, here. Yeah. Let's uh, yeah, let's talk about the so, wily peccary of Arizona here with DJ Zor, aka S. Clements. That's right. That's right. Um, so I think for for the guys who are coming over to traditional bow hunting from hunting with a compound, or for guys who are in the east and the Midwest and kind of want to dip their toes into like large scale public lands, Western hunting, um, man, peccary or javelina are the 
perfect species to start with. Cost of entry is cheap. There's tons of them running around out there, and they are like custom-made for dudes with a lawnmower recurve because you can get close to them, and it's it's still challenging. Um, I mean, I hunted with a partner this year, and I filled the tag, and he did not fill a tag. And, I mean, we were we were thick in pigs this year. Um, so it's not, it's not like a gimme, but it's like, um, it's like taking a kid bluegill fishing, right? Like if we want, want people to come over to traditional archery, we need to have some success, especially with the way, um, you know, people are always instant gratification today. Uh, Havelina are the perfect species for filling a tag, getting some meat, and getting your feet wet in Western public lands hunting or getting your feet wet with a traditional bow. Yeah, it's good to have some action, especially uh, when you start out with a traditional bow because coming over from a compound, I think a lot of guys are so used to their their pin and their peep sight and, and that whole system, they, they just, even though they've shot a target a thousand times over, they still there's like a mystery about shooting at an actual animal. So what better way than having javelinas running in? Don't you call you call them and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, so you can call them in. There's um, I won't I won't get super into that because um, we could I mean and we could talk three hours about tactics and techniques and stuff. But there's there's a website I think it's just javelinahunter.com, um, and he's got a little booklet. And he sells a call, um, and I'm I'm in no way associated with this guy, other than I have his booklet and I bought one of his. It's like the J13 Havelina call. It must have been like his 13th attempt or whatever. <laughs> um, but you, so you can call him in certain situations. But that that HavelinaHunter.com website has all kinds of tips and tricks on. Um, you know, getting, getting in close to them and, and how to, how to find them. Um, and then if you're going to come hunt them in Arizona, Arizona game and fish department website, azgfd.gov has all kinds of information on unit by unit, um, basically where each species is found. And that's really, that's how, when I moved out here after the Navy, um, that's how I cut my teeth on just kind of learning how to hunt public lands because I grew up hunting in the Midwest um, on a, a family plot of land that I, I still try to get back to and hunt every year. But it is a world of difference finding out that you own 640 million acres of public land and you don't have to stop at a fence line. You can chase these things for miles if you want to. Um, so it's it's a great, great starting point. Um so calling yeah. them, I heard they can come in like kamikaze sometimes. I mean, absolutely they come in insane. Crazy. So the way the way the call works is that that call is you can't just like blind call for them. You can't just like walk around and, and, and cold call because chances are you'll scare off a herd that's close but too far away to react to the call, and then you'll just you'll blow all the pigs out of the area. They'll just, they'll just change direction on which way they're feeding and they'll, they'll bug out. So the way the call works is if you get in close 
and they're so they're a herd animal. Um, almost never will you see one javelina solo. Um, during the hunting season, they are, and I don't know what their reproductive cycle is. Um, if they if they rut multiple times a year or kind of continuously and what their gestation period is. But it seems like when you're hunting them in the season's January for archery and then in, into February, there's always young, like young of the year with them. And they're called reds, the little ones. And what'll happen is when you get in close to them and then finally either, either you shoot one or they're onto you and they all scurry, they're not going to like single file out of there. It's going to be total chaos. And if a red gets left behind, it's going to start doing the squealing. And all of the adults in the herd are going to come back and try to protect this baby javelina, this red. And so when they come back in, it is, it is like a full-on charge mama protecting baby kind of situation um the first time i saw it uh it was it was just crazy um and this was and i saw it happen before i read anything really about hunting javelin or knew that this call existed and we got into pigs um i was hunting on a, a handgun archery muzzleloader tag which is the second season in arizona they call it the ham hunt huh. and uh, one of the guy were there's three of us out hunting and one of the guys shot one with a pistol and the herd scattered. And there was one red that just didn't run off with the herd, started squealing, and they were just coming in gangbusters. It was, it was total chaos until they got that little pig out of there. None of us got another shot off or anything. Um, I was hunting with a compound. And then later on, we just kind of ran back into the same herd and took care of things. But that was... I think that was the first time that I went hunting in Arizona was, was that day. And the first time was seeing one of those things call and watching them all just go crazy. Um, so the call definitely works, but it is situational only. So are they, um, are they nocturnal or are they out all day? Are you able to hunt them all day long or is it a morning evening? So you can, you can kind of sort of hunt them all day long they are out at night um but i have i've killed javelina everywhere from like a little bit after first light until like the the last bit of light where you want to take a shot before it's time to head back down to the truck or head back to camp before you're in total darkness um, and kind of, kind of everywhere in between. And then I've been like, I've been out hunting whitetail and had Havelina in our camp, waking me up in the middle of the night at two in the morning. So I don't, besides anecdotally having hunted them for the last seven or eight or nine years and kind of seeing them all the time. Um, I don't have, I don't have their patterns down super well. But you can go so after our, them all day, basically. Yeah, you can go after them all day. Um, so, so depending on dude, how the weather's doing and, and where your tag is, it may be more advantageous just to, if it's a really hot January or you've got a later season, like a rifle tag, um, 
you might want to just hunt early in the morning before it gets crazy hot, you know? How, how do they uh, share the landscape with the ungulates? And are you hunting them? Like, it seems like, are you hunting them with the cow steer or mule deer at the same time? Or does, do those seasons come together or? Yeah. So the, I mean, the, the cool thing about grabbing, if you're from out of state and you know, if you're, if you're from the Midwest and you want an excuse to come out here, you can buy an over the counter deer tag and you have to draw a javelina tag. There's very few over the counter opportunities for javelina, but the draw is very forgiving. Um, especially considering some of the, the species that we draw for out here in the West. Um, I don't think, I don't think I've ever applied for javelina and not got drawn. And there's often many leftover tags if you're on the ball and you get one quickly after the draw. However, if you're out of state, you have to get one of those leftover tags either in person at the game and fish office or by mail. And you're not, it's, if you're doing it by mail, it's not as guaranteed. So the draw is due the second Tuesday in October for our spring hunts. That's when you'll apply for spring turkey, spring bear, spring bison, and spring javelina. And then there's also a limited fall season on javelina that you'll draw for the second week in June. Um, so I recommend if you're going to come out here and do this, I recommend you just get in on the draw second week, second Tuesday in October. Um, your out of state license is going to be like 160 bucks and the javelina tag is 115. So for, for hunting out West, I don't know a cheaper option than that, unless you're going to do like one of the over the counter bear seasons or something up in Montana or Idaho. Do you guys know of anything more economical to hunt than that? California pigs. Well, okay. no, because you got to go, you got to pay to yeah, go do you that have somewhere. Access. Yeah. Which yeah, is but you can, no, you can hunt them with day. Texas pigs. No, you can hunt them on public land. It's not, it, there's not as much, but it, it, it is feasible. I haven't done it, but I've done the research on it, and there is places you can do it. And it's seventy-five dollars for a pig and one hundred and sixty for a license. Okay, so it's it's about the same. Yeah. It's a little bit less expensive to hunt pigs in California, um, but here, you know, your public land opportunities are vast. Um, and I mean, you can you can fly into Phoenix or Tucson, rent a car, bring your your pack and your camping gear and you can do this out of a rental car. I brought my uncle and another hunting buddy, um, a mutual friend of ours. Well, closer friend to his, um, but a guy that I've hunted with since I was a kid out here, they flew in, picked up a rental car in Phoenix and drove out to a spot that I had picked out and scouted. And we hunted for, for four days on the, um, on the general tag and, both of those guys got javelina and it was a blast and it was, man, it's super affordable for a Western hunt. And then the real advantage to all of this is that you can pick up an over the counter deer tag for cow's deer or coos deer, whatever you want to call them and, or mule deer, um, while, while you're out here for that. And if you're going to apply for Arizona elk, antelope, sheep, or any other species, 
you already have your hunting license, which you have to have before you can apply in Arizona. I know some states you can just apply and then buy your license after the application. Arizona, you've got to buy an annual hunting license before you have the opportunity to apply. So it's really a bunch of birds with one stone to come out here and hunt javelina. And are they sharing the landscape, um, you know, where you're going to find these cows, deer, or mule deer is where you're going to find the javelina? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, both. Um, our our whitetail or, or cow steer and mule deer habitat are different and they overlap. Um, so I'll just I'll just tell you how my hunt went this year, kind of what our our crazy plan was, and then <laughs> what we actually ended up doing. So the um, a buddy of mine that I hunt elk with and I we were going to apply for two units that are divided by a river. So our first and second choice um, were these two units that this, this river splits right down the middle. So if we drew either one of our first or second choices, we could put canoes in and paddle. Uh, it was like less than 50 miles, I think, of river by canoe, and then hunt either the left bank or the right bank, depending on the tag that we drew. Um, so I've got a ramshackle old town from the seventies. It's probably got more Kevlar patches on it than it does Royal X from old town. And he was, he had a borrowed mad river and, uh, we kind of scouted everything and had this plan, Google earth, all these spots, picked out campsites, um, had everything totally dialed. Um, how we, we worked pretty, pretty well together in the woods as far as uh, just being pretty seamless in camp with responsibilities. We know what gear the other one has and everything. So we were pretty dialed on floating this river. And like three days, if we would have hunted, oh, and the Havelina tag in Arizona is a month long for the archery tag. It's, it's basically the month of January which in certain units is open for over-the-counter deer. So if you're, that's an important note. If you're going to come out here and hunt over-the-counter deer, coincidentally with javelina, make sure you check the deer regs and ensure that the unit that you want to hunt javelina in has an over-the-counter deer season in January. Not every unit in Arizona has a late-season deer hunt. Um, So check that out before you apply and use use that info to base your your application on uh so everything was looking great for floating this river baseline flows are like 240 cfs there were places where we were going to have to get out of the boats and kind of drag them across gravel bars and stuff because it's not a high flow river we don't have rivers besides the Colorado river, like you guys have up there in, in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, um, 240 CFS baseline. That is a cruiser of a river out here in Arizona. Well, we got some snow in early January and then two days before we were going to launch canoes. It rained on top of all of that snow. And we look at the, 
the flows the morning we were supposed to leave when Andy got down to my house and we're, we got gear and canoes and everything spread out all over my front yard and we're throwing everything together to get ready to head up to the river and flows are at 1900 CFS. And we decided that we weren't going to do it over 500 because the river, the river is just not, not going to be kind to a canoer with a cooler and everything for, for what we had planned. So that first day, and the bummer with this is we only had a plan A. Every time you go hunting, you get yourself like a plan A and a plan B that are just as good as each other, right? You get two, two areas totally scouted out, two plans for how opening day is going to go and based on like weather or what trucks you see at the trailhead or whatever, you, you make like a last minute decision on which, which one of those two plans is going to be your plan A. The other one's going to be your backup. And then you've got like a C, a D, and an E for just in case A and D are total failures, right? Well, for this trip, we've got a plan A and nothing else. No other – I've hunted mule deer in there before in that unit, So, and, and Andy's been in that unit before as well. So we, we kind of knew the unit a little bit, but we didn't do – we hadn't put any thought into Havelina in this unit at all. So we're – we're basically starting out on like plan F or H or something. Um, so that first day we, we just drove to the closest access point to the river from my house, which is the last access point before where we were going to take our canoes out and just confirmed that it was a blown out disaster. Um, it was four and a half feet above normal gauge height there. So all of our plans for camp spots and everything were just shot. Um, and plus the river was flowing through channels that it doesn't normally flow. There's strainers where, you know, the, the channel's going straight into the top branches of a cottonwood tree that's now underwater. So it would have, it would have been a disaster. So we scrapped plan A and quickly made plan H and headed out the next morning um, to try to drive to the top of one of the drainages that Andy had picked out that we were going to maybe spend two days hunting. And that was hopefully going to be our, our honey hole for this hunt. And nobody, almost nobody floats this river just because the, I mean, the flows aren't great and it's, it's a ton of work to float this river. So chances of someone floating this river and hunting javelina while we're out there are like next to zero, right? So we're planning on having this whole thing to ourselves. Um, so we picked out a spot with road access to the top of this drainage that goes down to the river. And then we were going to park up there and then just drop into the river. So we spent the next day, took a whole day to drive up there. It was like four miles an hour in a lifted 80 series land cruiser, four wheel drive low, all axles locked. It was super rough. And we just drove until the sun went down and called it probably five or six miles before we even got back to that spot and realized that it wasn't going to work anyways, because the river is at like 3000 feet or below. And we were at 6,600 feet up there, 
hadn't really taken taken that elevation change into consideration <laughs> until we actually looked off the rim down to the river, and it was pretty daunting. Do you uh, so own we, the Land Cruiser? Uh, actually, funny thing, Andy's got a 91 80 Series Land Cruiser, and I've got a 97 80 Series Land Cruiser, but we were out in Andy's Cruiser for this Okay, trip. well, I'm good with both you guys then. You guys are my kind of people. I like it. You guys, you drive a Land Cruiser, James? I've owned two, and I'm shopping for uh, one now. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, this is my second. Bob, okay. where, where are you at on the, the Toyota four-wheel drive? I have a 85 Toyota Hilux extended cab. Yeah, Most school. excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I've had two Tacomas. I drive a 04 Tundra now. And I've owned two Land Cruisers, uh, like I said, a 91 and a 97, and I'm shopping for another one as we speak. Funny thing, the Land Cruiser was actually developed as a specific quail hunting vehicle. They were they were custom-made for bird hunters in the 50s by the Japanese, and then it just happened that it was, it was just a great truck for everybody. Huh. But, yeah, little-known fact, custom-made yeah. for bird hunters. Yeah, and they no. pretty, pretty much made Toyota what they are. Without them, they wouldn't have been where they're at today. I mean, it's the king of the road. Definitely. But I'm making that up about them being custom-made for bird hunters. They just uh, happen, to be, happen to be a great quail hunting vehicle, too. They're the best. Yeah. Um, yeah okay, so, so we're, we're on a real adventure here. We got a Land Cruiser. We got a raft. We got tags in our pockets. Let's get yeah, back after yeah. it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So on the, on the way back from scouting the river to see how bad it was, I actually, as soon as we got cell service, I called the outfitter that we rented all the gear from to take a Grand Canyon rafting trip last year. Um, the company's up in Flagstaff. And I was like, hey, what's, what's the smallest whitewater boat with a frame and oars that you guys will rent me? And he's like, ah, we got a 10-foot, like, uh, mini-me. That should, that should do it, you know? And so we, we almost whitewatered it. But the consideration of the uh all all the camp spots being gone and the river being blown out like chocolate milk and no way to filter water without settling in five gallon buckets and all the all the time and everything that the the river conditions really just blew out the idea of of doing a float so so back to where we're at the next day we're up high well over 6000 feet and it's getting to the point where we should probably get out of the truck and start looking for sign and looking for critters. So we start walking around and pick pick a spot that's going to work for a camp that night and uh, start looking around, and there's really, really old javelina sign. They eat prickly pear cactus. So when you when you get out there looking for javelina and habitat, um, they bed underneath like wide bushy trees. We've got ironwood, palo verde, and a handful of mesquites out here. And they're notorious for scraping out a big flat spot. And they're a herd animal, and they'll all sleep together in this big pig pile under a tree. And from, with, your, with your binos, you can pick out their bedding spots from 
a great distance away. And you can just, you can just tell where, where they're bedding because it's not like the size of a deer bed where you got to, you know, be, be pretty close up on it to figure out, okay, there's definitely a deer bedding here, right? It's a couple square feet max. Well, think like a dozen deer beds all on top of each other. And that's what a javelina bed looks like. like and it'll like always be underneath the shade tree. That's right. That's right. Yeah, like like three quarters of a Land Cruiser chassis. Okay. Um, and then they eat prickly pear cactus, um, which sounds crazy, but they will just they'll just eat the pads off of a prickly pear. They'll just take bites out of it, and they eat grass and and a whole bunch of other stuff. But they they leave a pretty unique shaped bite mark out of a prickly pear. Um, so you can, you can kind of look at the cactus as you're, if you're, if you're just scouting an area, you can look at the cactus off the side of the road and just start looking for what's been eaten on by javelina and the cattle that are grazing out there from time to time, will chomp a bite out of prickly pear as well, but the mouth shape is really different. Um, so those are kind of things to look at and you can look for scat too. Um, when it's really fresh their scat is going to look kind of like coyote shit, but it'll be green because they're, they're, they're omnivores. They'll kind of eat on whatever, but mostly they're, they're herbivores and they're grazers. And then they'll just, they'll scavenge. Um, but they're not, they're not what I would call a predator. Um, besides they've got gigantic canines and they are protective of the herd. But they're not, they're not one to, you know, run down a coos deer or anything like that. Um, however, if there's a deer down, um, we saw a pig running away with a, just a bone and some fur on the bottom and a hoof, coos deer leg, running off with that in its mouth like, like a dog with a bone. Hmm. Um, but anyways, their scat will look about the size of... Um, like yote or dog, but it'll be, if it's fresh, it'll be bright green and you'll tell that there, it'll be like bright green and brown. Um, and you can tell that there's like, there's grass and stuff in it. Um, and it's usually pretty stinky, whereas deer and elk, right? There's not, I mean, unless you, you know, grab that thing and mush it up in your hands while it's still fresh. There's not a whole lot of scent there. Um, javelina, if you, if you step in it, and mush it around with your foot, you'll you'll be able to smell it. So those are really the things to look for when scouting. So we're we're up high and there's really old javelina sign and there's really fresh deer sign. Um just up in elevation from where we found a flat spot to camp. So plan H started out with like three or four solid days of chasing whitetail and it was awesome up there for not for not scouting for not knowing anything about the area up there it was some of the best deer hunting i've had in arizona neither one of us shot a deer but hunting coos deer on the ground with a bow with a stick bow is 
that's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I still haven't accomplished it. Um, super, super tough to get close to it. I mean, it sounds like spot and stock on blacktail basically. And when I hear you guys talk about hunting blacktail, which I really want to do it, they pretty much behavior wise and how skittish they are and how they just, they just disappear. They'll just ghost on you. They sound just like, like black, blacktail or blacktail sound just like the whitetail that I'm used to down here. These cows deer. They're um, even smaller. Those cows deer are even smaller. I couldn't believe the dude, the size of their they, tracks. You know, I was like, it was like little little bitty deer. <laughs> so I could see those are, things really disappear. They are tiny. Yeah. Um, oh, and they so you're just, saying you're a glutton for punishment then? Oh, absolutely, man. So we so we were in. We knew right away we were in good deer habitat. All the javelina sign was really old. And we knew we could bust down in elevation, um, get lower in the desert, and find pigs later in the week. But we weren't going to pass up just the – everything was right up there, man. High high elevation in the junipers and oaks um, on a really terrible road where we weren't likely to get a lot of traffic back that far. I mean, we couldn't even make it to the destination that we, we thought we were going to get to, um, at least not in a day's drive. And, I mean, we're talking as the crow flies, this is probably less than 80 miles from downtown Phoenix, maybe between 80 and 100 miles from downtown Phoenix. I mean, it's not not an insane distance away. So we're up there. We're in deer country. And the other good thing about hunting javelina, right, when you get an elk tag, something you got to wait to draw just put a lot of pressure on yourself, right? Like I got to fill this tag. I got to make the most out of this and hunting javelina is like fishing for bluegill where you can have some beers, bring a big cooler. The meals are extravagant. Um, I mean, we ate nothing, but I think all the meat that we ate was wild game that either Annie had killed, I had killed, um, a girl I work with gave me some of her whitetail from her November hunt. That'll come up later in the week. And then we had some, um, Andy smoked a handful of mallards from when we went out duck hunting up by his place in Pine Top, uh, back in December. So every day we packed in, one of us would pack in a smoked mallard and some sourdough crackers. And that was our lunch. We just, just pulled all the meat off of this smoked duck and ate it on crackers like kings up there. It was it was awesome. So once again, another another point for javelina hunting is that you can do this with a big camp, totally relaxed. You don't have to pack in five miles, set up a spike camp, and then divvy out. I mean, you can do that if you want to, and you can hunt them in the most remote country you want to. Or you can sit back, relax, put some beers in the cooler. I mean, we had we had a couple of beers every night, and the food. Andy's like master camp chef, master taco fryer. Um, and we just we crushed it on food this trip. Um, so we found we found one spike mule deer that first night, but everything everything looked like like whitetail habitat. Lots of oaks. Um, like scrubby oaks and juniper and it had like a real whitetail 
cruise gear kind of feeling to me. So the next day we went out and the next, the next couple days we went out and, and we just chased running bucks around and it was, it was crazy. I mean, there were, there were more deer up in this little drainage that we were hunting than man. And probably than anywhere else in Arizona that I've been hunting coos deer. I've seen more in areas that I, I wasn't planning on hunting or like way, way, way out of season, but this was the best that I've had it. Um, I mean, we're glassing, finding multiple deer, blowing every opportunity that we come up on, um, and, and just having a blast. Um, so one, one, well, I'll, I'll tell you about one, one stock in particular before we get back to Havelina hunting. So we're, we found this tank, um, and we decided we're going to walk down to this tank from, from up on this ledge where we're at and just kind of look at what the sign is around the tank um, for, you know, if, if there's, even if there's javelina coming in there for water or what's going on. And when we got down to that tank, I looked back up towards the rim and underneath an oak tree, um, something just didn't look right under this one tree. So I got my binos out and there was a doe bedded under this tree. And what didn't look right was like her ear sticking up. So we, we put a range finder on her. Sorry. I hunt with a range finder. Um, but it's still, it's still a crutch (laughs) that I use. And, um, we were like 440 yards from the tree that this doe is bedded under. Um, and we kind of played the wind, figured out what it was doing and decided we're going to make a play going way downhill and then up to the ridge that she's on. And then we're going to walk the ridge back into the wind towards her and see if there's any bucks up there that are chasing her. So the first, the first deer that I just foolishly bumped is like, we're, we're trying to, trying to make the moves, right? We got basically a little over a quarter mile to make up on this deer before she moves or, you know, and and you're going to, you got to lose, totally lose sight of where she's at. We picked out like one dead agave, a dead juniper tree, and there was like a, a rock or a weird looking bush up there or something that we kind of put it, put a triangle in our head for where, you know, what to look for around where she was. Um, and then all of that looks different when you get up to it, of course. So we got like three quarters of the way there and I blew a doe out at like six or seven yards. Like I just, I just walked up, up these two kind of like rock steps and then she was, bedded under this tiny little bush and she just jumped up and totally busted me. And I was not, I was not putting the moves on at the time. I was definitely not being smooth. So we kind of contemplated pushing things further, but we figured we had, we really had the wind in our favor and she didn't, um, man, coos deer are the worst. Do, do blacktail, do they like blow? when they bust you and warn all the other deer within three miles that, that you're there. Yeah. I think or is that's that just a, a white tail thing? I think that's typical mule deer do it too. Okay. Okay. So white tail, coos white tail do it worse than any other deer I've encountered. 
Um, and she didn't, she didn't blow. So she just kind of went off kind of in, into the wind, um, and didn't, didn't totally bust us, but she knew, I mean, she saw me from real close, but she didn't have a total freak out about things. So we decided to push on and we got up to where I think that doe was and she's gone. And then about 75 yards up, I see some movement and I look through the trees and it's definitely a buck and he's definitely walking towards us and he's definitely big. So I decided to make a move towards this deer. And as soon as I saw him, I just went totally stupid. So I'm not like, I'm the guy who with, with a longbow, I haven't killed a lot of critters with that thing yet. So I'm going to shoot the first legal animal. When we were hunting for elk in Colorado, I wanted the, my trophy was the smallest four point to pack off that mountain. Cause we had a, I think we were in a, a branch antler unit, right? Yeah. I wanted the smallest legal bull to pack off that mountain. However, I'm still human. And when a monster steps out in front of me, I'm not like, I'm not looking at that thing the same way I'm looking at a trophy four point, right? Trophy four point elk, which would be the, the, the smallest legal thing you can shoot. And this dude was a stud. And I just, I, I went full, full potato, lost my mind and everything, everything fell apart completely at 50 yards. Nothing like I did everything absolutely 100% wrong. You know how you get like 10 options and nine of them are wrong and one of them are right? Well, I hit all nine wrong options at the same time. And that deer was out of there. I was just dumbfounded by this buck, huge, thick neck. And then he was, he was a three by three with, growl chimes and junk on both sides oh. and i've never i've never seen a coos deer walking like him i've seen him on people's walls um but i've never i've never seen one out in the field especially not with a tag in my pocket well, the good full news potato, was, huh? full potato full to full potato on that one just absolutely bonkers the good news was he didn't spook like crazy either, just like that doe that we'd bumped or that I had bumped earlier. So we decided since he didn't totally spook, we were going to try to see where he went, and we're just kind of continuing up this ridge towards there's just this little knob on top, and the wind is in our favor, so we keep going. And then the next year we come up on, walking our way as well, and we – we came around this juniper and he was like close. So Andy was going to make a move on him and he was just a, a small forked buck, but man, any, any spot in stock, coos whitetail with a longbow, you're a stud. So we're, I mean, we're going after the, the legal, you know, any, any antler deer basically. And, and he gets to the other side of this juniper tree from this deer and he gets down into shooting position if this deer 
box out and I lose sight of the deer behind the tree. I'm maybe 20 or 30 yards behind Andy. And I got to guess that they're, they're within 12 yards of each other and probably one or two steps before that deer was in a shooting lane, the wind swirled and he was gone. So, so, so close. I've never, I've never been that close to a whitetail on the ground in a tree stand. Yes. With, with does and fawns and stuff, but I've never taken one with a stick bow. Um, even, even from a tree stand. So you were almost a stud, but you became a spud. Right? Yeah, All right. definitely. Darn it. Yeah, that's right where we're at. Glad you're following along. All right. That's uh, good. Perfect. That's great. Sounds like um, I know where you'll be next coos deer season, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long awesome, as man. it'll that's be. That's awesome. There's, there's some grazing going on up there, so if, if there's a lot of ranching activity, we may stay out of there. I'm definitely going to scout it, um, check it out. And then I've got, I've got some spots down South towards Mexico that are pretty good too. Um, I just haven't been able to seal the deal yet, but this was kind of, I mean, this was really, really impromptu because our plan was to put canoes in the water and hunt javelina from the riverbanks. And we were going to, we were going to hunt mornings, paddle midday, and then scout and hunt afternoons, kind of scout afternoons for the next morning's hunt before we got back in the canoes and paddled some more. That was kind of our, our plan A, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this was like a gift of a deer hunt that we just totally stumbled into. Well, that, that happens sometimes. And that's a, that's a lesson to be learned for guys out there that get discouraged, you know, like I do sometimes because you, you try so hard to plan everything out, you know, you're waiting all season or maybe you drew this tag and, and stuff's not going right. And sometimes things like that just happen that, you know, least expect. I know my brother drew a tag, out of state tag years ago, a pretty good one. And him and my dad, you know, they got up there a few days early. Something happened. They had to run to town. It was a long ways to town and they had to go like 30 miles or something, gravel roads to town and, and they came back and my brother talked my dad into taking some shortcut. And my, and I guess it was, you know, same kind of thing you were dealing with going, you know, four low on these roads just through the desert, you know, and they're elk hunting out in the middle of nowhere and a bunch of elk, a bunch of elk cross the road and they're like, what the heck? And anyway, they stumbled into this awesome area and that's where my brother ended up killing his bull a few days later. <laughs> yeah. And they were like yeah, 30 definitely. or 40 miles, you know, they were just, no man's land compared to where they thought they'd be hunting, you know, so never, uh, you got to leave your options open and always look for the opportunity. Right. I mean, like I, I blew it because on, you know, on that particular stock, I had a bedded doe who could have had bucks, you know, with her. And I completely neglected to think that in the 400 and some yards that I'm going to walk on my way to her, I could bump a dozen other deer, you know, yeah. so you, you always got to look for, for opportunity at every single turn and what, whether that's, you know, in the truck when you're scouting or once your plans are made and, and you're in the field, you know, cause you never know what the weather's going to do, what the wind's going to be doing. You gotta, gotta leave the options open for sure. Yeah. And speaking of stumbling upon things. So that night, 
were sitting around the campfire. I think we had coos deer tacos that night that Andy, Andy brought this, this great stove. Um, they make them for like whitewater trips and stuff. So he had that already packed along this little propane two burner. Um, and he brought a bottle of oil and like a little frying pan. So he fried up these coos deer tacos and they were incredible. And we're sitting around the fire eating tacos, relaxing in lawn chairs. And I look up and it was the weekend of that super blood wolf moon or super wolf blood moon lunar eclipse. Nice. And we had no, we had no idea that that was supposed to happen. And I just kind of leaned back in, in my chair with my feet up on the, on the firing. I said, Andy, are we supposed to have a lunar eclipse right now? (laughs) And we're, you know, we're up above 6,000 feet, crystal clear air. There's no light pollution up there. And we had this, this great viewing of this lunar eclipse. It was awesome. And then the next day the winds picked up like crazy and we decided we had two days left to hunt. So we better go down and fill some javelina tags. Cause he's so, when you buy your over-the-counter archery tag for deer in Arizona, it is good for the year. So that's good for, if you buy it January 1, that's good for the January season, the early season before elk season starts, which is like late August and into the first part of September. And then it's good for the December over-the-counter season as well. And your bag limit is one deer per year in Arizona. So if you shoot your deer, in January, there's no sense in applying for a strip tag for the fall hunt um, or doing any other deer hunting in the fall because you only get one tag a year. So we decided we got Havelina tags. We've got a whole rest of the year to hunt deer. We better bust down the hill, get back into the desert, and uh, and hunt some Havelina. Uh, so the next, so and we woke up the next day and the winds were just howling uh i mean to to the point where it just wouldn't have been fun to hunt in it and we knew the winds would have been less down low so there was just just even more incentive to go fill these javelina tags so down we went and we did some some scouting and kind of some road hunting on the way down nothing really productive and we decided with all this rain and moisture that we were having that we would uh, that we'd hit this other river basin that's typically dry or flowing. It, it flows underground. It's always flowing, but most of the channel is just through gravel bed underground, and there's no no surface water. But we figured with all the recent rains, there would be water in there, so we headed down to that drainage and uh, and set up camp. And the next morning, got up and ate some breakfast and you can, you can totally relax when you're having a hunt. You don't need to be out at Oh, dark 30 waiting for sunrise for your, for your one chance, you know, before six 30 when they're going to go bed for the day and just completely disappear. You can, you can sleep in a little bit and hunt them all day. So it's probably, I don't know, it's probably like seven 30 or seven 45. We moseyed out of camp and we probably didn't get, quarter mile out of camp we kind of got up on this little rise where we could really get a look over the basin that we wanted to hunt and i think i'd uh i think i kind of pointed my the, the bottom limb of my bow 
over somewhere and said, well, why don't we drop in? And before I could even finish my sentence, we could hear the javelina and they were super close. And so they, when they move, when they take steps or when they run, they kind of woof while they do it. They just kind of woof, 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 woof. And you can, you can just make that noise with your mouth and kind of call them back in or at least convince them that you're not a threat and that you might be another javelina. Kind of like you do um, when you're totally crashing through the elk woods and you pop a diaphragm in your mouth and you make some cow and calf sounds, right? Just so there's, there's some noise and there's some ruckus, but then there's, there's elk communication going on at the same time. So you can do the same thing. By, by woofing when you're around javelina. Um, so before, I mean, this is how this is how chaotic javelina hunting gets. Sometimes is we're on our way to go look for a spot to hunt javelina, and all of a sudden we're in a herd of, I would say more than a dozen. And I had one run out in front of me and stop, and then move right before I got an arrow off, and then she took off behind another bush, stepped out past that one. And I let one fly and that was it. That was my, that was my tag for Havelina. Meanwhile, Andy goes chasing off down after the rest of them. He was a little bit to my left and they, they kind of moved right. So it was, it was definitely to my advantage that first herd that we bumped into and he chased them down to the bottom of the draw and then back up the next ridge over. Um, and then they, they busted out of sight. So I just kind of stood there, gave my pig some time, and uh, found the back half of my arrow broken with good good lung blood on it, um, on the shaft. It was, you know, bright pink and bubbly, and then found a couple of blood spots, and Andy came back over, told him where there was blood, and he's walking up to me, and he says, up, oh, under this bush, got her. And that was that. So nice. we uh, dragged her back to camp i got her gutted and skinned out so when you so they do have a scent gland everybody whines and moans about javelina and the meat because they were stinky yeah that's bullshit (laughs) so they do have a scent gland on them and like anything else meat care is critical right like a lot of people complain about antelope meat but I think the problem, I think most people's problem with antelope meat is when you hunt antelope, especially with a boat. A boat. Hot. It's hot. When it is hot. And then strike two for antelope, how easy does their hair fall out? Yeah. Like if you, if you blow on an antelope, the hair yeah. comes out, right? Yeah. So you get, so they're hot. So you need to get the meat to a cooler and cooled off fast, which is difficult to do. And hair i I think and there's no proven science to this or anything but i think that hair is one of the things that spoils meat the fastest or spoils the taste of meat the fastest so same thing with javelina they do have a scent gland it is above oh they don't have a tail which is which is kind of a weird feature for them but above where like where their tail would be in kind of the small of the back between kind of sort of where the hams meet the, uh, the back straps, there is a scent gland there and that will come off with the hide as long as you don't, when you're, when you're skinning, 
Um, you can skin from the neck to the hind or, or hang them by the feet and skin the other way and just make sure that you don't pierce into that and that'll come off with the hide and then just keep the hair off the meat and you'll be fine, right? Because the, the oil that comes in comes out of that gland is going to be all over the hair and you don't want any hair touching your meat. Um, so I got her back to camp, cleaned up in the cooler, went back out, walked to not even as far as we got to where I killed that Havelina and sat down and Andy got his binos out before I got my binos out and before I could get my binos to my eyes. And he said, yep, got one, two, three. And he already had another herd of Havelina picked out. Nice. So if you know, if you know what habitat to look for, you're going to find Havelina. So what so, was your, uh, before we get too much further, what was your setup on that? pig what were you um so uh stalker jackal longbow from south cox um and then i'm shooting sherwood shafts built by none other than andy ponce um and i owe andy a debt of gratitude if you have any curiosity about wooden arrows andy is a glutton for punishment when it comes to answering way more questions than necessary before (laughs) before i got wood arrows man i asked andy a thousand questions and got some test shafts and shot these shafts and then called andy again and he is so willing to share his time and his knowledge to get people set up with an effective arrow that's tuned to their bow while still being 1200 miles away so, Andy, thank you so much for the arrows. So I, I bought two dozen. I figured get a setup that works, and I'll just buy two dozen so then I can leave Andy alone for another year <laughs> before pestering him again. Um, and then uh, and then on the front of that, a 160-grain cutthroat. I think I'm shooting the 160s on nice. those um, cutthroat broadhead. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much three, three fletched. Um, I lucked into a pile of, uh, wild barred turkey feathers. Um, so I fletched them myself and using, uh, one of those young feather burners. I have like kind of a, just over four inch high ish profile shield kind of shape that that's kind of what the wire looked like after I bent it. And so I just went with it. Nice. Awesome. And um and I use those those bear paw knocks for a smaller diameter string. James, I know you're a fan of those. Yeah, those are my favorite. Yeah, they're they are the best. So you can if you're still dabbling with carbon, right, the knock fit between those boning classic knocks and then most of the knocks that are, are made for carbon arrows is totally different. But those bear paws fit really similar, I think, to to the majority of the knocks for carbon arrows out there. Yeah, they're just sleek and um, yeah, they're a really nice knock. Are you are you doing a tapered five sixteenths shaft? Yeah, yeah, tapered shaft. So I the the test shafts that Andy sent me were all parallel, and then when we settled on a final, um, I had him taper them. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm shooting. 
What spine quiver? What's that? What spine arrows did you end up with? They're either a- Andy probably knows better than I do. I know he's got notes on all this stuff because he's the man. They're either seventy five eighties or eighty eighty fives. Because with with a a head over one hundred and fifty grains, and I'm drawn. I don't know, over 28, but probably not over 29. Um, that's, that's just kind of what it came down to is that I needed almost the, the stiffest shaft that Sherwood consistently has. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, so about that a little bit. So 75, 80s, 160 point bear pod knock. Sounds like you're shooting my same exact arrow. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's really working out for me. Um, and then when, I had Drew, Drew from Selway put the, uh, the backcountry hunters and anglers logo on, uh, on one of his micro quivers. And that's what I've got hanging off of there. Oh, uh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the setup, man. That's what, uh, that's what works for me. Um, and then Andy's shooting a, uh, a Martin Savannah one piece um, with uh, with a limb quiver on it as well, and he's shooting Sherwood shafts. I don't know if he's shooting. I don't know what broadhead he was shooting. If he's shooting cutthroats as well, or if he's got a different head on there. But he's shooting a really really similar arrow setup to what I'm using as well. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're pretty pretty similar out there as far as equipment in the field, Andy and I. Um, and so we, we knew there were deer down there where we were having a hunting, but I told him that I was going to put my bow down, leave it at the truck. And I was just going to go out and help him punch his javelina tag, be an extra set of eyes. And then, um, I brought that call with me in case we got into a situation where that would be, uh, useful and um and then we just went out back after it and for the next day day and a half um it was just a circus out there with andy jason javelina and me trying to help so that at first herd that we got into um he got too close to a bedded pig he was like three steps from this javelina that was bedded and when that one blew, none of the other ones left. And then he he proceeded to bust javelina by javelina, each one of the pigs off of this little hillside where they were bedded. And not a one of them ever presented a shot. So they will, we've got something, um, we call it cross thorn. It's like, uh, it can get up to about head high. And it's just like a shrub with almost no leaves. And then these inch and a half long thorns that go each way out of all of the branches. And they will, the javelina will like burrow through that stuff underneath and have these tunnels that are like no less than, than two feet high off the ground. And they were all in that stuff. And every one of them, busted out of there with a different escape route without ever presenting a shot. However, while we were up there, 
while we're moving over to that spot, we got blown by a white-tailed deer, and he came up the other side of the main draw on the hillside going up to the ridge across from us. It was just a small spike, and he stopped and just stared at us for like 30 seconds. And I asked Andy how far he, I thought he how far he thought he was, and Andy said, "Oh, he's he's at least 150 or 175." And I looked at him and I thought Andy was way off. I said 120, and I got my rangefinder out. Bob, you were talking about how small those deer are. He was 84 yards away. Wow! Yeah. Andy, Andy had doubled the distance away that he thought this deer was because it was so small. So they are they are in the same habitat um, where where cattle are grazing. That's where javelina are going to be, and you're going to run into depending on that grazing habitat. You're going to run into either mule deer or white-tailed deer in that same ha- habitat that you're hunting javelina. So for the out-of-state guys that are wanting to hunt them, is the spring hunt um, or the winter hunt? Do you do you recommend? Um, so we've got, so what we call that January, February hunt is the spring hunt. Oh, okay. Um, and then the fall hunt is in October oh, and okay. I would definitely recommend that spring hunt. Um, I mean, it's, it's the whole month of January. Chances are you can find a Havilene tag in a unit that's got over the counter deer open. Um, and you know, you can pick your vacation dates easily based on your work schedule to come out here and maximize your time. If you are applying for a fall deer tag, if you don't, if you don't punch a, um, a tag for javelina in the spring, if you're applying for a fall deer and you know there's a lot of javelina in the area and you want to punch a javelina tag, that's when I would apply for a fall tag. Gotcha. Nice. And so, and how do you treat the meat now that you've got one in the freezer? You treat it just like a, a regular pig? Are you, um, you know, how is it hitting the table for you guys? Um, so I don't hunt a lot of stuff that lends its lends itself to sausage. Um, I like my elk and deer cuts whole. Um, we do like a lot of slow cooking kind of stuff with that. So we don't we don't make a whole lot of sausage out of other animals. So most of my javelina gets ground up into chorizo for breakfast sausage. Mm. It is the perfect, it's the perfect meat for chorizo. And then depending on how big it is, if there's like really big hams, I'll save those to roast whole. Um, and then the back straps always get saved. Um, I think I'm going to do, Havelina schnitzel with one of them, and then I'm gonna try. Um, man, one of my favorite dishes is Szechuan dry fried beef, and I've got a recipe for it, and I've got all the ingredients. So I think I'm gonna try that with the other one, with the other uh, backstrap. So they, I mean, meat's meat in my opinion. You gotta use the right recipe. You gotta cook it the right way, right? You can't shoot a black bear and expect a whole bunch of steaks out of it. You shoot a black bear and make a bunch of chili and make a bunch of stew with it. Um, okay. Same thing, you know, same thing with elk, right? There's, there's a handful of steak cuts on an elk, but 
most of that lends itself well to the uh, to the slow cooker. Um, so you know, treat treat your javelina the same way. I know dudes do whole slow cooked roasted shanks. Um, that's a that's a popular one. Um, and you can I mean you can do it pretty much any way you want to, but don't don't shoot a javelina and expect you know marbled ribeyes out of it because that's, yeah. that's just not the case. With elk, I like and my I, elk I, bloody myself. Yeah, so javelina, I always cook it all the way through. Um, just, just as a, an extra sure. precaution, but you, you probably don't even need to do that. Um, so the other, the other option for those back straps is to just do it like a slow cooked pork tenderloin, um, just, you know, seasoned or, or brined or marinated. However you do your, your pork tenderloins. I mean, it's the same, same cut, just super lean. Right. So my, um, my chorizo is, like uh, 70%, 70% javelina, 10% pork fat, and 20% like pork shoulder or like a fatty cut of pork, all just ground together and then seasoned. And then um, just bulk, bulk packed frozen, um, not put into links or anything like that. Just sauce and patties. Man, DJ, yeah. you are my kind of dude. Chorizo, tacos, Toyotas, wood arrows, longbows. I love it. Good yeah. Stuff. Yeah, so that night, that night that I killed that pig, so before we got back to camp, we got into the, the full Havelina Circus. Andy once again stalked into a herd. He's like five yards from the biggest boar that's over there. I'm 80 yards away on the other side of this wash. And I got my binoculars up and I'm watching him stalk in and I was just going to stay put in case they moved. I was just going to give him hand signals, which we hadn't determined ahead of time or anything. And they didn't really go anywhere. And he got to like five yards from this big board. I'm just waiting for him to, to get an arrow off. And finally he, he gets set and he gets up, up on his knees. He's kind of on his hands and knees. So he just got to his knees and kind of got his butt off his ankles and drew the bow back and i just watched this arrow sail right over this big boar's back and then all of the pigs over there went crazy and he was completely surrounded by angry javelina 360 degrees they're running around him all sides and he's like he's moving and rotating this way and getting the half draw and then there's a pig right behind him and he's rotating that way and and i was going to try to like give him hand signals or something and then i thought hell i'll just yell i'm further away from the pigs than than he is and i'm not gonna I'm not gonna scare him any more than him and he never never got another arrow off um but that was i mean that was like kind of how how the day went um and then we got after that blown opportunity we got back to camp and he had while i was cleaning up that pig he had gone and found a dead mesquite and um took the i don't know if he took the axe or the saw with him and he he chunked up a bunch of that mesquite we got a juniper fire going and then we got some mesquite coals going um and he soaked some of those chunks of mesquite in water and we made a made like a little a little oven in the side of the fire pit out of, uh, we just kind of fashioned it out of rocks and he made a little like mesquite roasting fire off the side of the pit 
and I sliced that heart up and skewered it on some green branches seasoned with salt and pepper and I think a little bit of chili powder and we just slow roasted it over those mesquite coals and had that as an appetizer and it was incredible. And then we polished that off with some more Coos Deer tacos and beers. Wow. Sounds awesome. It was, it was such a great celebratory meal. Incredible. Sounds like a, a heck of an adventure, dude. Sounds like a good, yeah, good trip. And uh, I know Andy used to run down there with a group of guys that would do kind of a big January trip down there. I think one guy'd cook all the food. They'd set up a big tent. It sounds like a heck of a place it's a to really go for great a... kind of party hunt. Yeah, it's lower stress. You can really get out there and and enjoy yourself. Um and you know relax and have a good time and have multiple opportunities you know just to just to go nuts yep well hopefully hopefully we got everybody fired up about some uh some pig hunting and some deer hunting over-the-counter deer hunts there's not a lot of rut over-the-counter deer hunts out west here either and they guys to know so uh, yeah make no mistake about it like late december early january is usually peak rut down here. Um, and they were definitely still rutting. We were into the late teens or maybe like right around the 20th, um, while we were doing our deer hunting and they're so, full, full on rut. So you can get a deer tag and fill it in December and hang out in January and get another one and try to fill it as well. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just need to retire you hang out. so you can just hunt all the time because yeah i mean well could... i mean that's what that's what e donald thomas does yeah right uh, is yeah. he he's got a place down in patagonia and you know he just hunts quail i don't know if he gets after deer down there or not um yeah, they, i know i know, and, I know he's an avid we're quail hanging hunter. out when we just did that podcast with him and i think doug did kill a goose deer have, this year and a javelina yeah and a javelina yeah so uh yeah those guys are doing just hunting all the time (laughs) lucky dogs yeah yeah i mean in december is the time to be down here don't you know december january is the time to be down here in the summer tell you it's hot it's hot there in september (laughs) even in september that's not even the summer it's hot and the roads are rough i'll give you that so but we we uh we appreciate DJ. you coming on, DJ. I mean, you are the man. We we had a great time getting to know you at Compton. Hopefully, we'll we'll all get to meet up back there again. We'll see how our schedules work out, and maybe someday we'll get to roll down there and uh, do some coos deer hunting. That'd be awesome. And and yeah, I don't. We didn't even have time to talk about BHA and what you got kicking there. We'll have to get you back on again soon. I appreciate uh, I appreciate all of your listeners for listening to me ramble on about Havelina and uh, the exploits down here in Arizona. Thanks for sharing, buddy. Thank you. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Go check out Traditional Archers of Oregon's new website, tradarcheryoregon.com. Support your local traditional bow hunting organization. If you live in a state that doesn't have one, get a hold of us. Uh, We can probably give you guys some ideas on how to start one. We think these things are important. 
Check us out on Instagram, tradquest.com. And always keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.